All right. Good morning. Happy 4th of July. Um, I kind of figured that this weekend would be low in attendance because of the 4th and we're celebrating a big holiday. And then when I woke up this morning and saw it was raining, I was like, oh boy, nobody's going to be there. But now I see who the true saints are. <laughs> so thank you for coming out. And I know that you really love Jesus. All of you who are watching from home, uh, you work it out. Um, no, seriously, shout out to all the people in Costa Rica. Um, my staff should be watching if they have internet. They might be watching today. But no, seriously, thank you for coming out because I know it would have been really easy this morning to say we got a lot of plans for the 4th and it's rainy and it's just easier to stay home today. So thank you coming out because it's always great to um, meet with the people of God and worship him together. Um, thank you to the worship team, man. That was awesome. I almost, I was getting teary-eyed and I don't get teary-eyed. I felt, I don't know, maybe it's the spirit of Jonathan um, coming upon me this morning. I don't know. Um, but it was awesome worship. So thank you, Warner and worship team. That was incredible. Um, I'm Spencer. I'm the director or president of 6-8 Ministries. And um, I had the opportunity to preach last week. And I announced I was preaching this week. And y'all still came back. So that's pretty amazing. And I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. But before those of you who weren't here last week, I just want to give a real quick um, recap of Galatians 2, um, the last part of Galatians 2, which we were in last week. Basically, what has happened is some of the Pharisees and Judaizers and James have led Peter and Barnabas astray. And now Peter and Paul are in conflict because what has happened is Paul is telling them that you can be justified through faith alone. It can't be through the law. You can't be justified through works. If you live by the law, you will die by the law. He says it very plainly in Galatians 2. No one is justified through works. But what Peter and these guys were doing was the new converts, the new um, Christians that were Gentiles... We're not obeying the ceremonial law in that they were not being circumcised, in that they weren't obeying all the dietary restrictions. So Peter is telling them, hey, if y'all aren't going to do that, we're kind of going to break fellowship with you, which is just horrible. The idea that they would be saved through faith and grace alone, and then once they become believers, as new people come into the, the fold, they tell them, no, you have to do this, this, and this, and they put a bunch of requirements on them. So Paul is arguing with Peter directly and the church, and that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 3. The last part of Galatians 2, we talked about, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's he who lives in me. In the flesh that I now live in, I live through the son, through, with the son who loved me and gave himself for me. And I told you that we were going to figure out what it means to live in Christ. What does it mean to die to self and live in Christ in a practical way? But let's, um, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we can go to it to find absolute truth. That at times when we're confused, at times when we're misled or led astray, we can go to your word and you can set us back on track. I thank you for your writings and how you've preserved them. And I just pray today that as we open them and understand them and read them, you would open our minds and our hearts so that we would truly receive them 
that we would be encouraged by them, that we'd be convicted by them, that we'd be challenged. Father, I pray that you would just protect what I say today, that it would be what you would want your people to hear. And we just give you all the glory and all the credit for everything you're going to do this morning. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So picking up in chapter 3, it starts off with some really, really strong language. And Paul says, you foolish Galatians, exclamation point. So he's, he's kind of fired up at this point. He's like, Peter, he's not just having a gentle... Now, we talked last week how Peter and Paul were actually brothers and united in their theology and united in their mission and purpose. And Paul reminded him of that. But now he's like, what is going on? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Which in modern day language would be, what were you thinking? Who has cast a spell? What have you been smoking? Are you drunk? What is going on? I mean, seriously, he's like, how could this be? And I want to point out that this isn't just a small issue. This past week, actually last two weeks, I've been watching the Olympic trials. I don't know if you enjoy the Olympics, but I love the Summer Olympics. And I've had it on in the background as I've been working, and usually the sound's off, and I'm just watching kind of passively as I'm working. And I was watching, and I looked up, and it was the men's diving competition. And I don't know if any of y'all have heard of Joshua Hedberg. No? Okay. Jesus is important, but go home and check him out. Um, Because I looked up, and there was this kid. And when I say kid, I'm not talking about a 20-year-old man. Those are kids to me. I'm old enough I can call them kids. But this guy looked really young. So I turned it up, and sure enough, he was a 14-year-old kid in middle school. And he's competing with all these other guys. And not only is he competing, but he led and made the Olympic team as a 14-year-old kid. But what I, as I was watching it, I was really impressed with him, but I turned it up, and I was watching, and I realized that I could never be a judge for diving because I could not tell the difference between a 10.0, a 9.5, a 9, or an 8. I'm impressed by all of it. So it all looked great, and they were being super critical, like, oh, his feet weren't perfect going in, and he wasn't vertical, and he had too big a splash. And I mean... The Olympic Committee has not called me to be a judge yet, and I don't think that's coming, and now that I've said that, it probably will never come. So my hopes of being an Olympic judge are gone. But as I was watching this, I was like, it's so nitpicky. It's so, so tight criticism. But this is not. This is not like Peter and Paul are arguing over the color of the carpet in the sanctuary or what kind of communion wine do we serve or something small or little. This is huge. This is the foundation of their faith, what they're arguing about here. It's either by works or it's by faith, and it can't mix. So it's huge. So it's almost like Paul is saying, Peter, do you realize that God has given you an opportunity? The eyes of the world are upon you. You have gone up onto this platform to do this beautiful dive in faith and grace, and everybody's going to celebrate God for it, and you jump off and you just do this horrible belly flop. And everybody, if you've ever seen a belly flop, we all know they hurt and they're hard to watch. And that's kind of what Peter and these guys are doing. And Paul is so upset. So when he's using these strong words like you fools 
and who has bewitched you, there's a reason for it. Because this isn't unimportant. This isn't a side little detail. It's the foundation of what you believe for your salvation. Then you go a little further, and it says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Come on, Peter. You witnessed it. You people have seen it. This isn't the church 2,000 years later, Peter. This is, you actually were there. Remember that night you denied Christ and you fled? So you know it wasn't about your works, Peter, because you blew it. If it was all about your works, if your relationship with Christ was about your works, that would have been the end of it. You denied him. But when he rose from the dead, what did he do? He came and reconciled you and drew you back in. It wasn't through your works, Peter. It was through your faith and your belief in Christ. And he's like, how could y'all miss it? Y'all have seen it. And then he gets to the nuts and bolts. And this is where we're going to focus today, verses 2 through 5. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Tell me, Peter, how did you become to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Was it through all your good works and following the law? You were Jewish and you were a kosher Jew and you probably obeyed the ceremonial laws to the best of your ability. But did, was that the thing? Was that the thing that Jesus saw in you and said, yeah, I want him? No, not at all. It was hearing in faith and believing. Peter, come on. And we read this and you can really start to beat up the Galatians and Peter and think, well, I don't do that. But we do. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we forget that it was the hearing of faith when you were regenerated and brought into the body of Christ and he adopted you as sons and daughters. It wasn't because you were such a wonderful, good person and you were doing all these righteous acts. It was because he loved you and he saw that you were in desperate need of a savior that you would never be justified and rescued in the eyes of God through your own good works. So you heard the good news, the message that Jesus Christ would die on the cross for your sins so that you would have salvation. And you heard that good news and you believed and you were regenerated and you became a new creation and the spirit dwells inside of you. Now, some people, we're not gonna get into it today, but some theologies teach that you get the Spirit later. I don't believe that. I believe that if you're a believer, you inherit the Spirit of God immediately, and the Spirit dwells inside of you. So Jesus dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God comes into you and dwells and acts as a counselor, a convictor, a comforter, and all that good stuff. So when you have the Spirit, how did you get that, Peter? Did you get it through your good works, or did you get it through the hearing of faith? Everybody in the room who would call yourself a believer, you have the spirit of Christ living in you and you receive that through faith. You receive that from saying, yes, I believe that. I will surrender what I think I can do in my own flesh and take on this free gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, the son of God. So Peter, let's go a little further. Having begun by the spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh. That's a good point for all of us because that's what we try to do sometimes. 
And that's especially what we like to do to other people. So you begin with this great declaration of faith where the Spirit of God comes over you and takes control over you. And then you say, well, now God did his part. I got to do mine. It's like a 50-50 transaction. I'll meet him halfway. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. You can't do that. You can't be part um, regenerated in the spirit and then think you're going to work your way in the flesh, Peter. It's not right. You can't do it because when you do that, like we talked about last week, you nullify the cross. You take away the work of Christ. If you were good enough, if you were able to do it on your own, then Christ died for no reason. But he died for you because you couldn't do it, Peter. And then, did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, was it in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith? So Paul transitions a little bit, and he's like, so what are some of the evidences they have seen? The early church, there were all kinds of miracles happening. People were being raised from the dead. Sickness was being healed. Demons were being cast out. All these really cool works were being done. And he's like, do, does anybody that's working those miracles do it out of their own flesh, out of their own righteousness, or are they doing those through faith in Christ? And again, we know the answer. It's obviously all about faith. It's not about works. But here's the kick. How do you know if you have the Spirit of God inside you? How do you know if you've truly given your life to Christ, and now you're living in faith and not in works? That should be a question that should be arising up in your mind as you think about this. Okay, so Spencer, if it's all about faith and I've given my life to Christ, I have the Spirit in me, but how do I know? Where is that seen? Well, I think it's seen in a couple of things. One, I think it will be seen in your fruit. You will know the tree by the fruit. It'll be seen in the way that you learn to love, that you learn to forgive, that you are now a new creation and you've been given all this mercy and you're able to show mercy to others rather than judgment and condemnation. You're able to show mercy and grace and love and win people with love. Another way is that you just have something deep inside of you that you know you belong to God. There's something deep, deep inside of you that cries out, Abba, Father. We know that through other scripture that there's these verses where they're very intimate. That when you lay down at night, you know that he is your daddy. That the God of the universe who we were terrified of and never deserving to be in a relationship with, we can now call daddy because he has won us to himself. So that desire... So what does it look like practically? Well, I have an acronym I'm going to share today. I don't normally do this, um, and I hope I can remember it. But I, that's why I do acronyms is because I'm not very good at remembering stuff. The first one, where's the action in the life that displays the faith is real in the life of a believer? How do we know the difference between a believer and a non-believer? How do we know if they've really committed their life to Christ? Well, I think every day, every morning of every day and every minute, every time you're faced with hardship or temptation, 
it starts with acknowledgement or admitting that you can't do it yourself. And that's really hard. We're celebrating Independence Day. And we love the idea of independence. Now, today we're celebrating our country's independence from the evil dictators of England that were ruling over us, the tyrants. But we, we are independent from that. But as Americans, as Western-minded, educated people, we like to be in, independent of ourselves. No one in the room wants to think that you're needy. No one in this room wants to think that you are desperately in need of help. And sometimes that independence can actually hurt us because we're not willing to give in and surrender and say, you know what, I can't be good enough. And y'all are some pretty good people. I mean, y'all came to church this morning on the 4th of July in the rain. You're pretty good people, but, <laughs> but you can never be good enough. Your independence, you can't be that I can work hard enough to impress God. It doesn't work. So you have to admit that or acknowledge that. The second thing is communicate with God through prayer and faith. Okay? When you realize you can't do it, you all of a sudden realize, I need God to do it. And that's where prayer comes in. God, help me love these people. God, help me show grace in this situation. God, help me make a decision that would honor you because my flesh tells me to get revenge. My flesh tells me that I'm the center of the universe. My flesh tells me that it's all about me, but I know that it's not. So help me be in tune with the spirit, your spirit that lives inside me. Help me with that. Pray those prayers. Yes, pray for things that you need, but what you desperately need, what you desperately need is for God to remind you how he loves you and you're incapable of saving yourself or even acting like Christ without the spirit of God in you. So pray for that. And then the other one is communicate with God through his word. Reading the Bible I have so many people that tell me, I just wish God would speak to me. I'm like, yeah, read your Bible. And they're like, no, I mean like audibly. I'm like, well, then read it out loud. I mean, <laughs> this is the way that God speaks to us. God has never audibly spoken to me. I mean, I know it happens, and that would be really cool, but he doesn't speak to me that way. The way that God speaks to me is through his word, and when I read it, I realize, oh, man, I didn't realize that. And that's where the conviction and the growth happens. So we acknowledge and admit we can't do it without him. We communicate through him through prayer and reading of scripture. And then we trust. Okay? Trust is the hard part. I heard this illustration and I really, really like it. In Hebrews 12, 2 it says, fix your eyes on Christ because he is the author and perfecter of your faith. Okay? When you look at that word author and the perfecter, so yes, he's even the one dragging you into sanctification. It's not he won you in faith and now it's up to you to be sanctifying yourself. No, he's pulling you along. But that word author there also means captain and not like military captain, but like the captain of a ship. So the trust part is this. Imagine you were in the middle of an ocean 
and you're drowning. Because that's basically what the Bible says we were without Christ. We were dead in our sins. You might not be dead in the physical sense, but you know that unless something happens, you're going to die. And then you cry out, and Christ comes by in a boat. And you jump on the boat, and you're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're, now you're just cruising along with Christ. And you look back, and he's at the will. And he's the captain of your ship. And, unfor- and we're so thankful for that. And we're so happy for that. And we're on the ship, powered by God's mercy and grace, captained by Jesus Christ. And we're on this ship. And all we get to do is celebrate the fact that God is that awesome, that he would rescue us in that capacity. Sometimes we pass other ships and we tell people, hey, hey, and they're like, oh, you're doing great. No, he's, he's driving. I'm just on the boat. I'm just enjoying the trip. But what happens sometimes is storms come along or we get close to the shore that, and there happens to be a resort and a swim-up bar and swim with the dolphins and all that, and we think, that looks pretty good. I'm stuck on this boat with Jesus, but man, that resort looks really good. And we kind of dive in and think, I can swim over there. I can make it. And that's what keeps you on the boat is trusting that Christ has the right plan for you. That being on a boat with him in control and giving up all of your independence is the best place for you. That's where the trust comes in. That's where faith comes in because it's the trust that you believe in Jesus is the faith that keeps you in that boat. But God loves us enough to say, hey, if you want to jump ship, I'll let you go jump ship. And then when we don't make it or we realize that we've made a horrible decision, he's right there and he's like, hey, how about you get back on the boat? This is a better place for you. I love you. I'm never just going to sail off into the distance and leave you to die Spencer, I love you, and I know you are prone to jump and chip, but trust me, stay on board. It's so much better. There's so much more peace and security on that boat. The other thing that I like to do sometimes is I like to think, I'm kind of digging this boat. I like the Christian life, but I kind of want to steer for a little while. Jesus, why don't you take a break and just go hang out, and I'll drive the boat for a minute. And that's horrible. And what that looks like sometimes, and um, as a lot of you know, I run a mission organization in Costa Rica. And I like to ask people that come down to serve, why are you coming down to serve? Some of them want to see Costa Rica, and I get it. That's cool. That's part of it. And some of them do it out of guilt, or they do it out of the idea that somehow going to Costa Rica on a mission trip is going to get them brownie points with God. And I'm, I, I want to just tell them, that's a waste. You going on a mission trip isn't going to impress God or cause him to love you any more or any less than he already does. His love for you is perfect. But if you're being led by the Spirit and the Spirit's calling you to go down to Costa Rica to love on a bunch of children that don't normally receive love and joy from other people, that's a great motivation. And that's just one example If you do a daily devotional and it feels like a workout routine that you hate doing, stop doing it because it's not doing any good. 
That's where you're saying, yes, God won me in faith, and now I'm going to work hard to impress him. That's where you grab the wheel of the boat and go, I'm going to go this way. If prayer seems like a burden, that should worry you. If loving other people and wanting to show compassion and charity to those in need, if that's a burden, that should worry you. Because that's what the Spirit of God does is it frees us to do all those things, but do it out of a motivation of love and gratitude, which is the last thing, is say thank you. Say thank you every minute of every day. I thank you so much that you chose me because I didn't deserve it. I thank you so much that you not only chose me, but you're, you're the author of my face. You're, you're the captain of my ship, and you're going to perfect it. You're going to bring it into port. He's not going to quit. He's not going to give up. And say thank you. And then when you add that up, that spells acts. That's where the Christian belief becomes action. That's where the good works come into play almost unintentionally, when you do all these other things, it will happen naturally. But we do it backwards and we think, okay, if you're going to be a believer, you better start having a quiet time. You better start going on mission trips. You better wear Christian t-shirts and no more rock and roll. And you can't do this and you can't do this. And then, and then you'll be okay. And I think what God is calling is saying, no, don't do that. I think that's what Paul's preaching here to you foolish Galatians. You can't start by the spirit and end in the works and end in the flesh. It has to all be spirit, spirit, spirit. It has to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It can't be Jesus and Spencer equals something really great. It's just Jesus. And when I'm on that boat, and I don't know, some of you I know are on that boat, and I see the peace I see the excitement. I see the work in your life. I see the love and the joy and the security. And if you're sitting there today and you're like, I don't know what he's talking about, please ask me about it because I want you to be on the boat. Jesus wants you to be on the boat. The Christian life should not be stressful, full of works and a burden. That is not what it's about at all. It's about surrender in love. It's about giving up and taking a ride with Jesus that will blow your mind and be better than anything you could ever imagine. Let's pray.